Good evening. Thank you very much for coming. We're going to continue this evening with our study of Sri Jiva Goswami's Sundarbas, Sat Sundarbas, Six Sundarbas. Uh, we are in the Paramatma Sundarba, and this place, Sri Jiva Goswami, is explaining the nature of the material world. We're in the 60th Anucheda, and for the next few Anuchedas, what Jiva Goswami is going to present is um, the understanding that actually, what, well, what else is there but God? So, he's going to bring out the fact that Paramatma, the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Lord, um, permeates the material universe and really can be seen as his very self. So a little uh, a beta, a likeness between the universe and the Lord is going to be presented. And then I'm sure Jiva will go on and show the differences. But all these ideas are, are meant to bring us to a, to a more comprehensive understanding of the Lord's various energies. And um, as we mentioned a couple of discussions earlier, that this understanding of the Lord's Maya Shakti, his material energy, can be quite beneficial to us. It is so powerful, this knowledge. It's so... Uh, so enlightening as to to our as true as to the true position of the material energy uh, and our involvement in it that it can lead to complete detachment from matter just by having a comprehensive understanding of this knowledge coming down in disciplic succession as to the as to exactly what is the nature of the lord's energies, and specifically the external energy, we can develop a, a, a tangible detachment. It's easy to say so many things about, you know, our understanding of not being matter, and we know we're not this body, but to tangibly take that in and use it on a to use that knowledge in a comprehensive way and in a, in a regular, regular way, like it becomes part of our very nature to understand that this has nothing to do with me. Now, you ask an interesting question at the end of the last class, and I was, you know, like, well, do we, I think it was something to the effect that we see all of this even the bad stuff in material nature as as God is it, I mean how can we not see it as him but if we look at it really it's really a matter of perspective isn't it if we look deeply and this this gets to to the heart of what what I'm trying to convey here if we look deeply at that kind of a question and we look comprehensively at the at the practical consciousness of those of advanced devotees, of sadhus, and even of other other transcendentalists, 
those that are attracted to Brahman, those that are attracted to Paramatma feature of the Absolute. We're, of course, attracted to the Bhagavan feature and more specifically to the Bhagavan feature wherein God gives up his godhood and simply sports with his friends as if he was one of them equal. He becomes their equal. Not as if he was an equal, he becomes their equal. So, look, if we look to the question you ask, and I was thinking about this later a lot, is look at the way the sadhus live. And, and we look and say, well, there's so much bad in the world, the bad had to come from the Supreme. But if you look to the consciousness of the transcendentalist, specifically the Vaishnavs, specifically the Bhaktas, what, their consciousness is so absorbed in, in Krishna. Their consciousness is so absorbed at every time in the Supreme that what bad do they experience in the world? What bad did Prahlad Maharaj experience in the world? Here's the biggest demon around, throwing him off of mountains, boiling him in, in hot oil. I mean, you name it. He went through all of that, but he came out on the other side unscathed. And he truly didn't have any bad reaction. He didn't have any bad experience through something that torturous. What was his consciousness? His consciousness was complete and total transcendence. So, if we look deeply to what is the material situation and we can contemplate what is our true being as complete and total spiritual, we're a spiritual entity. We have nothing to do with the world. Now, it's easy to say, it's easy to theorize, it's easy to read the books and say, I'm not of the world. But, you know, when you break your arm, it's like, oh my gosh, I just <laughs> broke my arm. But, but the sadhus, they can live in the world and go through all kinds of torment and be unaffected. Now, when I say unaffected, I don't mean absolutely unaffected, but then again, I do. They experience it, but it, it doesn't, it's not anything that interferes with their full and comprehensive understanding of their spiritual nature. So, they can experience a heartache, a heartache, they can experience a heartbreak, they can experience a heart attack. <laughs> It doesn't. It doesn't affect them. They can live in a room. They can be in a building and be told there's a there's a cobra somewhere in the building. All the other devotees are rushing. I'm not sleeping here tonight. And Prabhupada says, "Well, it's a cobra. If I, if that's my destined death, what's the difference?" <laughs> Maharaj Parikshit. Okay, I'm going to die in seven days. He had full capacity. It's not that he didn't have enough powerful Brahmins within his, uh, what is it, retinue, uh, 
you know, his circle of circle of servants. He had enough Brahmins who knew how to chant mantras. He didn't have to die by the snake bite. He had he had Brahmins just as powerful as this little little boy Brahmin who was just coming up in the world who cursed him. You don't think he could have his Brahmins could have counteracted that curse easily? He, this was just for a curse from the child. He had more experienced Brahmins at call, at his beck and call. But he wasn't affected by it. He wasn't affected by eating or he didn't need anything. He just wanted to hear Krishna Katha. So, is there evil in the world? Depends on your point of view. If you can become 100% Krishna conscious, what evil did those that caliber of transcendentalistic really experience? As we turn our consciousness towards God, everything becomes favorable. Even the most unfavorable of circumstances is looked on as favorable. Queen Kunti, bring it on. The more you bring on the miseries of the material world into my life and the life of my sons, the more we experience all this tribulation, the more I'm thinking of you and thinking of you, I'm, I'm ecstatic. So bring it on. It works. Now, Krishna consciousness is very unique. What works for one person may not work for another. So we may not be all a Queen Kunti where the bad makes us remember Krishna. Sometimes the good makes you remember Krishna. Sometimes a mixture of the good and the bad. But the main thing is if we remember Krishna, then where is the evil in the world for the sadhu? It's not there. You can't find it. So where is the evil in the world? It's for those people whose consciousness is turned away from God. And can we fault the supreme for those who turn their who have the free will to love which in whatever way they want they can either love themselves and their bodies and their possessions and everything related to them or they can selflessly love the supreme choice is yours now are we going to fault the supreme for making giving the living entity that complete and total freedom So is there evil in the world? Yes, by choice. By whose choice? Who's choosing the evil? Krishna doesn't want anybody to experience the evil of the world. Krishna doesn't want anybody to experience separation from him. He's he's yada yada hi dharma shya glanir bhavati bharata. I'm coming again and again. I'm sending my friends, my saints. I'm I'm doing everything I can to let you know what you really are and introduce you to me and we could we could be best friends and lovers and I mean the the possibility possibilities are limitless in the relationship we can have with each other so here I am what do you want you want you want to turn away 
Well, when you turn away, what is that? That's Vivartabad. Then you're accepting an illusion as a reality. So, I don't want you to be an illusion, but the possibility has to be there. The possibility has to be there because you cannot experience love fully unless you have an opportunity to make a choice to love or not love. What is the question of loving if it's forced? Then it's servitude. You're my forced lover. Well, what do we call that? We put we put people in jail for doing that, you know. I I love you and put, lock you up in a in a cage in my basement and have you there at my disposal. That's not love at all. So something to think about, some way to think about it, and some way to think about all these all these Puranic texts, all these scriptures telling us about all these saintly people and what what they went through in this world and how they came out, Krishna's pure devotees, and what their experience was. And then we see these shining examples of, you know, here's a devotee, makes a mistake, falls in love with a deer at the end of his life, becomes a deer, and what's he do? He goes and he seeks out the sadhus and wants to continue to hear. It doesn't affect him. It doesn't affect his spiritual progress. So, just some different ways to look at what really is the what really is the evil in the world, and how much of it can we attribute to the supreme? Only the only real thing we can attribute to him is you've given me freedom to go this way, to turn my consciousness towards you or turn my consciousness away from you. And you're doing everything that if we look from a very practical viewpoint, Krishna is doing everything in his power to turn our consciousness in the, to him. He's offered. And he's, he's, he's doing it in such a comprehensive way. Look at the Bhagavatam. How comprehensive is it? How comprehensive is this? Is the presentation of Vedic knowledge in human society? Whatever you want, it's trying to give you a hook. You want to be the great materialist. You want to have karma. You want to have. Here's the sacrifice. Here, it's a very simple. You follow this formula, you'll get the wife. You'll get promotion to the heavenly planets. You get the children. You'll get. The wealth, you'll get the power, you'll become, you, you want all the cities, you want to be a yogi? Okay, here in the scripture, you do like this, you do this renunciation. All this is meant, oh, these books work. What else is in there? What else is in scripture? If it can give me all my material needs, it can make me a great, how great can it make me? I can make, I mean these yogis, all the yogic cities, you could you can have whatever you want. The scripture tells you that. So it's a very comprehensive system. Krishna's Krishna's casting a pretty wide net here. Whatever you want. Go for it. 
I've given you scriptural direction by which you can attain anything that you desire. And in the end, you can come to me. So, uh, just a way to, to, to comprehend. And I think what really is interesting is the fact that these, these sadhus, these great advanced transcendentalists, they don't experience the way at world the way we do. They become so detached that there is no pain and suffering for them. None whatsoever. It may appear like they're suffering, but that's also there. It's a plan. It's so Krishna wants to satisfy everybody's point of view. So for the atheist, he was killed by a hunter. The the Yadus killed each other. They didn't. If we look at it from the from a transcendental viewpoint, no. They just wrapped up their pastimes. So we'll continue here. So now we're at the section Paramatmas and Dharma where we're going to see that the material world is Paramatma. And it it's it's provided to us in a narration from coming from Narada Muni but uh, I'm jumping ahead of myself this verse is an introduction to that those five verses that will cover the the fact of Paramatma being within the world and can be seen as the world so Jiva goes on he says in the 60th Anocheda which is called Satkarya Vada Vad thus it has been described that the consciousness, conscious and unconscious overt substantives, stula vastu, beginning from the empirical self, adhyatmika jiva, on down to the earth element, are born from Paramatma, who is self-endowed with subtle potencies in the form of conscious and inert substances namely the pure self and the unmanifested Pradhan, respectively. So he's introducing the subject and he's letting us know that these are aspects of Paramatma. From, from, the, from, the, from that aspect of his energy, which is conscious, the jiva down to the completely unconscious, the earth element. So that whole range of what is in the material world is coming coming from and is the same as Paramatma. And it's different, but we'll go into that. Thus, Paramatma is accepted both as the efficient cause, Nimitta, when alone by himself, Kevala, and as the constituent cause, Upadan, when qualified by his energies. Scriptural authorities accept both these forms of Paramatma, as in Brahma Sutra. Brahman is also the material cause, since this is in conformity to the proposition and illustration found in the Upanishads. In this way, Paramatma is forever pure. 
untouched by the material nature. This is all in the Anacheda, and Jiva Goswami continues. Because potency cannot exist without a potent source, it is said to be non-different from that source. We accept that. We accept the Sat Karya Vad, whereby an effect is understood as being a part of the cause, because it is brought to light through the manifestation of its own innate disposition present as implicit potential within its cause. When the effect is not different from the cause, as established in the Shruti texts like the created clay object is different in name only, only the clay is real. But from this it is also concluded that the cause is different from the effect. Some thick wording here, but we'll unpack it a little. So in this way, this universe is clearly not different from Paramatma, who is qualified with the causal potency to bring forth the universe, whereas he is certainly distinct from the universe, as explained by Sri Narada to Sri Vyasudeva. So, Jiva Goswami here is kind of unpacking the Abeda Abeda concept. He Paramatma is the universe, but Paramatma isn't the universe. The cause, you can see the cause in the effect. If there's a cause and there's some effect coming from that cause, you can see the cause and the effect. But then again, the cause is different in the case of the Paramatma. How are we to reconcile these concepts and see them in proper perspective according to to scripture, to Shastra. So now, we have the beginning of the discussion. Um, is explained by Sri Narada to Sri Vyasudeva. This universe is not different from Bhagavan, from whom its sustenance, dissolution, and creation come about. Yet he is distinct, Itara, from the universe. Alternatively, the jiva who is distinct, Itara, from the universe, is also non-different from Bhagavan. You yourself surely know this, but I have nevertheless pointed it out to you in some small measure. Jiva now explains it. This phrase, this universe is like Bhagavan, means that the universe is not different from him. Therefore, the conscious entity who is distinct from the inert universe, namely the jiva, who is designated as the intermediary potency, Tatasta Shakti, is also like him, not different from him as above. Therefore, the following shrutis are given as evidence. All this is of oneself with that, and all this is indeed Brahman. One would question why all this detailed explanation here. But these statements are there in the in the various Upanishads. These statements of likeness, basically saying it's all one, it's all God. So when we come to these statements, these Upanishadic statements that seem to completely support the 
the Brahmavad conception, the Advaitin conception, that really there's only Brahman and it's all Brahman. So, you know, it kind of supports the whole the whole misconception of of the material world is just just an illusion. It's just, because really, if you if you boil it all down, it's all God. There's no distinction. It's all just one. So, the cause and the effect. We can see the effect within the cause. How do we see that when it comes to God? How do we see it when we experience things like you pointed out in your question? Things that appear to be greed, lust, anger, just a complete lack of godliness. How do we see that as coming from the Supreme? How do we reconcile these points? This is where Jiva is now. Let's reconcile it. Let's start with the it's all God idea as presented in the Bhagavatam and then we'll proceed from there. We'll see how it is. We'll see how it isn't and then we'll reconcile the two. And in reconciling and entering deeply into the scriptural statements, we can walk away with a very comprehensive and well-rounded understanding that will serve us nicely in our spiritual understanding by understanding the external energy of the Lord. It's going to serve us well to know that. It's going to build in us detachment because we're going to start seeing Paramatma everywhere. So that's where Jiva's going now. He's taking us down this this path. There's some interesting things in the commentary here on this first uh, beginning introductory Anujeda. In the unmanifest state, it remains in its subtle form as Pradhan or Prakriti along with the Jivas who are without their subtle and gross bodies. In the manifest state, Pradhan undergoes an evolutionary process beginning with Mahat and ending with the earth element. And so the Jivas acquire gross and subtle bodies. Thus, Paramatma is endowed with subtle, inert, and conscious energies in the unmanifest state of the universe and gross, inert, and conscious energies when the universe is manifest. So Paramat is endowed with the energies both when the universe is not manifest, when there's a resting period between one manifestation of the, of the material cosmos and then wrapped up. So in the wrapped up state, the potencies are there in him, in the unmanifest state. And then again, when they're manifest, it's the same energies. Because his potencies are non-different from him, not being able to exist or function without his support, he is the Upadan cause, constituent cause. Because it is he who precipitates the extrinsic energy to manifest the universe. He is the Namita cause, so he empowers. So now, Jiva's, now we're coming to a a simplistic presentation of, of these two aspects, both the ingredient cause 
and the instrumental cause of the material manifestation. It's all coming from the Supreme. The principle that the effect inheres in its cause and is thus non-different from its cause is called Satkarya-vad. This, however, does not mean that the effect is exactly the same as its cause. If this were so, then there would be no need to call them by different names, and no agent would be needed to produce the transformation. All it means is that the effect exists as inherent potential within the cause. A statement like that helps us to defeat the misconception that, well, it's it's all the illusion of Brahman. Again, we get back to this Vivartavad. It's just an illusion as, as opposed to uh, Parinam, that it's a transformation. So, otherwise... Why would we even call them by different names? It seems like, well, that's just, that just makes, you know, it doesn't even, why would you even say it that way? Because it helps us, it breaks down and completely dissolves those misconceptions that can come from the, the, the misconception that Everything is just an illusion created by our ignorance. That if you could see through the illusion, that's not the proper... The proper understanding is it's a manifestation of the Lord's energies. It's a transformation of His various very self being the cause of unlimited potencies that are contained within Him. It's a whole different viewpoint. One is one of an impersonal approach to transcendence. That it's all just one spiritual indistinguishable potency, which we call Brahman, or one, it's a potency which has consciousness to the effect of being able to effectuate something. So now we come to some interesting interest this this is going to come out a little bit in this commentary three different viewpoints are put forward and we can easily see through them through the eyes of Jiva Goswami's presentation the effect is existent in the cause because what is non-existent cannot be produced Because an effect requires a corresponding constituent cause, because all things are not produced from all causes, because a competent cause can bring forth only that effect from which it has competence, and because the effect is of the same essence as the cause. Sankhya Karika. So this is like a major pronouncement of the Sankhya philosophy. So all these things are there. So now, 
these are brought out by looking at viewpoints that counteract this idea of the cause or Paramatma in this instance who is manifesting his energies that create and manifest the material world and all the jivas in it. So the Buddhists say Asata Saz Jayate from the non-existent comes the existent object. Well, and the counter to that death this is not corroborated by anyone's experience. Now, once in a while we can go to a magical show and we can see someone conjure up an illusion that appears to be something real in some way, but really it's, it wasn't there to begin with. So the Buddhists are saying, well, from the non-existent, you can make something. What what do we, would we have any practical experience with that except for uh, what's that magician's name David David something Copperfield, Copperfield <laughs> making a seven forty seven out of nothing yeah out of what nothing out of smoke and mirrors who knows how he did the illusion it was great but the fact was it's illusion he didn't make a seven forty seven he didn't create it and he didn't make it disappear. It wasn't there. So the Buddhists are saying, well, you could just create something out of nothing. It goes on. The Advaitin Vedantas, the Advaitin say, Sato Mithya Jayate. From the existent comes the non-real. From the existent comes the non-real. Okay. Again, if the effect has the same nature as the cause, which is our experience in the world, Everything that we experience that has a cause, it, it's, it has the same nature as the cause. A, ca a clay pot is made out of clay. So, you know, a husband and wife get together and they make a child. It's, they don't make an you know, it generally comes out human. We, we don't have any practical experience of the cause being, the effect being different from the cause. The Advaitins are saying, well, yes, it is. Because the material world is coming from Brahman, what do they have in common? What's, where's the commonality? Between Brahman, who has no distinct characteristics in the essence of the spiritual conception of Brahman, and a material world that's full of unlimited variety. Mm -hmm. They share. They exist, they yes. Exist, but, then, then, but then they even say that the material world doesn't exist, so they're not even acknowledging that similarity. Correct. So, if the effect has the same nature as the cause, Karnabhav, Baba, then the world must be real because Brahman is real. I mean, really, if they want to say it all, it's all coming from Brahman, well, Brahman's real, and you're saying the world's false. That what's the, the common characteristic? Brahman is is the tangible, and you're saying that the world's coming from Brahman. Well, where's? But you're saying the world's false. So their their philosophy has some difficulty. 
Then it goes on to the mayaikas, the, the logicians. The cause is destroyed to produce the effect. They say it's like a seed. So when you have a seed and you put a seed in the soil, what happens? The seed is destroyed in, in bringing about the plant. So just as the seed is destroyed to produce the sprout, the effect is produced afresh and did not exist before the little plant. So their principle is called Arumba Vad. This is refuted by the reasoning that if the effect did not pre-exist in the cause, then anything could be produced from any cause. Now think about it. A seed is destroyed. There has to be something in that causal seed to make us a corn stalk as opposed to an oak tree. So there's something in the cause even though the cause is transformed from the seed into the sprout, you're saying the seed is destroyed, but the potentiality in the seed is not, it's distinct. There's a distinctiveness there. So, again, different philosophies are being presented so that we can, we can widen this conception that the world is like is the energy of the Lord. It's it's coming as as a reflection of his spiritual, his swarup shakti. So you're going to find in the material world something that's made and created on the template of the Lord's personal swarup, of his nature. It's coming of his nature. You can't, you can't, you can't separate that aspect of it from the material manifestation. We call it a perverted reflection. Reflection. It's reflecting the spiritual realm, his internal sarup potency. It's coming from that true, the truth of his spiritual reality, we get our material reality. An effect is the manifestation of certain characteristics lying dormant in the cause. But the cause is different from the effect since it may have more characteristics than those manifest in the effect. So, the cause is not, the effect is within the cause, but the cause can have unlimited potentiality. Not all of it has to be manifest in a specific effect. So this little commentary concludes with this. The same is also applicable in the case of the jivas. They are not different from Paramatma, yet Paramatma is beyond them. Thus, the Bhagavat Purana does not accept the pantheistic doctrine, doctrine of God being merely identical to all that exists. 
the pantheistic idea. The Lord has become nature. But rather, the understanding goes deeper. But that the pan-entheistic, entheistic, or in other words, God as present in all created things and yet distinct from them. God as both divine eminence and divine transcendence. Panentheistic, as opposed to pantheistic. So that's the, the understanding that we need to have in relationship, in seeing the relationship between the, the cause of the material manifestation, the Paramatma aspect of the Supreme, and the material world coming from the supreme, the innate, inert, I'm sorry, material manifestation, and the conscious jivas. So now we go to those five verses. little background on the verses. One of the major, major challenges, this is from the commentary, so I'm starting there just to give us an introduction to us. One of the major challenges faced by Vaishnav scholars, schools that accept Paramatma as both the Namita and Upadan cause of the universe is to defend against the notion that he undergoes modification in the act of creation. That's one, that's, that's the challenge at hand. That's the core theistic idea that's going to be completely studied here by Jiva Goswami. How to get away from this, not get away from it, how to deal with it properly. We, we don't want to run away from anything and say, oh, that's, that's just too, too difficult to 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 defend against. So, again, the fact that defend against the notion that he undergoes modification. How can the Supreme cause, create, and not be affected by the creation? That's what we're going to be going over here. As already stated, for anything to be a upadan, material cause, it must undergo some modification, vikara, to produce the effect. So it's our common experience that generally the cause is modified in some way or another to produce the effect. Like a clay pot. You have a lump of clay and you make it into a pot. There was a transformation there. The clay is, is now different. It has a shape. It may be harder. It may be of fire. It may be paint. You know, it, it, it's, it's changed in some way. So, they'll take this idea that the, that the cause, the fact that the Supreme Lord has spiritual particles, ourselves, the Jiva Shakti, the Tatasta Shakti, his marginal potency, or his, ex, his external potency, the Maya Shakti, 
the material energy, that, well, God had to change. God had to be affected in some way. So, this section of the Paramatma Sandarbha is dealing with the fact of, no, God's God. He can manifest the jivas, who are his very conscious entities, part of his very being. He can manifest those. He can manifest the material world. And he can be completely unaffected by it. That's what it means to be the Supreme. It's not heard of in material terms. We don't have any direct experience of it. So that's what scripture's here for. It's to give us insights into spiritual realities that don't fit between our ears. We don't have we don't have an experience of any effect coming from a cause and not being affected or transformed or modified in the act of the creation. So, Paramat was different. How's he different? How's he alike? So that's that's where we're at now. According to Sat Karyavad, Though the effect is accepted as being non-different from it, the cause, it is not exactly the same. Otherwise, it would not have a different name and function, as in the case of thread and cloth. Sri Jiva, on the authority of the Bhagavat Purana, solves this riddle by showing that Paramatma has inconceivable potency by which a part of him undergoes modification in the form of the universe without causing any change in his swarup or essential nature. Now, we as students could say, okay, so we get it. God could create without, without modification. So, let's just move on. That's that's a nice approach, I guess. Just move on. That's not the pounding of the post that Jiva Goswami, our Tattvacharya, employs. We know now what the objective is, but he employs not only sound logical reasoning but sound logical reasoning and understanding based on scripture. So he's, he, ha, he has to draw out for us. And not only for us, he's defending what? He's defending the spiritual viewpoints of a Sampradaya. He's taken the essence of the, of the mature commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, the Srimad Bhagavatam, He's distilled that essence into comprehensive presentation of Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan. And he told us that back in the Tattva Sandarva, when, when we began our study of the Sandarvas, I'm going to rely on the Srimad Bhagavatam, and the Srimad Bhagavatam is going to be the main praman, the main evidence whereby we prove the validity of the Vedas 
through the Vedanta Sutra and the Vedanta Sutra's natural commentary, the Srimad Bhagavatam. And that, that validity is what is the Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya. Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya is, is based upon this approach. This approach of accepting the Bhagavatam as the primary evidentiary, the, the sutras whereby a comprehensive understanding of spirituality can be deeply entered into. So it's nice to say, okay, we understand that God can have potencies and, and you know, let's, uh, let's just accept that and move on. Well, accept it and move on, but accept it in such a way with such a firm foundational backing in Scripture where all other philosophies can be easily defeated. An understanding that you carry with you to such an extent that when somebody comes up with a counter-proposition that just like we just went through those the Buddhists look at it this way. Well, it just doesn't make sense. It's not practical. It's not even logical. What to speak of not scripturally, scripturally justifiable. In other words, none of the sages and none of the Veda, which coming we're accepting as the breath of the supreme, is is support of your of your argument. It doesn't even make sense from a practical viewpoint. We don't experience it in the world. Oh, and the and the and the Vedanta, uh, the Advaitins, they're saying, well, it's just an illusion of Brahman. Where do you have an illusion that's not based on? You're saying it's a uh, based on Brahman, and Brahman's the, the the supreme reality. Brahman is the is what is real, and you're saying from from the real comes the unreal. Uh, you're basing that's your philosophy so we we can chuckle at the philosophies but we need to have maybe we're not going to argue with these with these other schools but we need to sometimes confront conceptions we hold in our mind and these arguments are good for even our own self-preservation in light of the of the struggles we sometimes come through, come up against in just accepting the fact I'm not this body, but damn, I'm I'm psychologically bummed out. I feel, you know, whatever it may be, you know, whatever we're confronted with, we you know we have to deal with it. We have to deal with it in a very comprehensive, and and we have to be able to turn. We have we have to be able to to approach these things with a strong spiritual background and then they don't become life-threatening mental health-threatening everything-threatening obstacles it's like okay it's like the the sage who woke up in the hut with a with a snake wrapped around his neck and he just threw it off okay fine so life's giving me you know, lemons, let me make lemonade. I have to do that sometimes. So we'll begin in the next discourse to go over these verses uh, 
these verses are spoken by from Brahma, spoken to Narada, and there's five verses, and they they're, they're going to show the preeminence of the supreme Paramatma feature of the Lord within the material universe. So five verses here, uh, clearly explaining that, so that we get the point. Any questions? Um, last time you, you, you mentioned just like like hair grows and things happen that um, we're not really like our our body does all kinds of things but our our soul is is um, set is kind of it's not part of all that's going on so like in that way um, is that what he's pointing to in terms of uh, this whole thing's just happening, but it's not touching him, even though it's part. He's part of. It's part of. In a kind of a. These are analogies that, whereby we can grasp, the fact that, the snake can give up its skin, the spider can weave its web and then bring it back in. They're just analogies to give us some idea, of the the workings, that we're familiar with. We have experienced that the nails grow, but they're really separate from us. We can cut one; it doesn't doesn't hurt unless we rip it into the skin. But you know, <laughs> the hair can be cut. So these things are happening, and these are just analogies to give us an idea that can be applied and help us understand the Lord's relationship with these various potencies. Because even our material body has potencies that apparently, I mean, can you stop your beard from growing? I mean, wouldn't it be great? Well, I guess in the winter, you want, for me, I, I shave mine off. It's a pain every few days. You know, wouldn't it be great just to say, stop growing? <laughs> I can't. It's coming automatically like that. So there, there's just certain, the Lord also has different potencies that are coming that they really don't affect them. It's just a way to look at things where we can we can relate with the spiritual with the transcendental aspects of the supreme by looking at ourselves and by looking at our environment and by starting out there. The whole uh, Virat Rupa conception of the Lord brings us to that. Can we fully comprehend it? No. If Krishna showed us all his opulences, we'd, we'd be like Arjuna. Okay, I've seen enough. Could we go back to the little two-handed, four-handed personality that was driving my chariot? I can't, I can't keep up with you here. You're consuming the universes. All these people are, look at you. You're everywhere. <laughs> your, your powers are everywhere. You're you're just, you're, it's overwhelming what I'm experiencing when you, I've asked to sh show me your opulence within the material world. And as soon as he started showing Arjuna the opulence in the material world, Arjuna's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That's just, that's over the top. You, you're, you're doing all that? And here you are on my chariot? Uh, yeah, I can't understand that. How's that happening? You're manifesting all these planets are coming, all these demigods are worshiping you, all these demigods are part of your body, managing all of the individual living entities in a very specific way. And 
It's just overwhelming. I mean, we can't imagine. And that was a form that he showed to Arjuna that he'd never shown to anybody else. So that means he could manifest it in unlimited ways he could show you his universal form. Not the same universal form and manifestation that Mother Yasoda saw in Krishna's, baby Krishna's mouth when uh, she looked in there to see if there was any dirt. You didn't need any dirt. I don't see any dirt there, but boy, what else was there? Okay, close your mouth. Here, have a sweet ball. Does that help? The, um, Prabhu, the example that you used with, with the uh, clay and the clay pot, um, my idea was that um, that the clay pot is made maybe from a percentage of the clay, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the, the the rest of the clay is still untouched. You know, right. it's like it's only a quarter of it, maybe a quarter. Of okay. It. Is that, is that more? Well, that's not what we're learning now. We're learning that the, 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 the Supreme can manifest the material world and not be affected in any way. So it's... Because that's the arguments that can be made. Well, it has to... It has to the material manifestation has to have some... has to have had some effect on its source. And that's not what's going on. The Supreme can manifest everything in the material world and not be affected in any way and still be 100%. We learned that in the Isopadashad. Right. Supreme is perfect and complete and even though he's perfect and complete, so many perfect and complete emanations can come from him. They're also perfect and complete. So he's complete and he didn't lose any of his completeness, but complete things are coming from him and they're also complete in their completeness without affecting his. That's transcendental. That's spiritual. All right. Thank you so much. Anything else? Thank you so much. Hare Krishna.